0: You're listening to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the beco System with Steve Stadler.
2: We hit about 50,000 people on average a day through here. So from a volume of people going through a space, we're bigger than many sporting arenas, and we are consistently that size you could have all of this beacon infrastructure in place and now the person the a passenger could be being bombarded with various messages from different systems and really being able to manage that noise is going to be critical. For us we're really driving it from um, from the perspective of how do we communicate with the passengers so we've installed somewhere near 300 beacons throughout this campus. Really the, the purpose of that app is not so much about the revenue generation as it is about the, the passenger and the passenger experience. Yeah. And uh, whether or not it's my app or someone else's app that ultimately provides that experience, we want to be able to understand what do we have to enhance that experience.
3: Welcome to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Beco System. My name's Steve Statler of Statler Consulting. As always, we're doing this in partnership with our good friends at Proxbook who produce an executive summary of uh, every interview we do. So if you want to just get the highlights and do a quick uh, graze on what we've talked about, head off to proxbook.com to get that. So this week, we're in San Diego at San Diego International Airport. And I am with the head of their technology department, Rick Belliotti. Rick, thank you so much for doing the show. Absolutely, thanks for the invite. It's uh, it's an honor. It's an honor for me as well. You were my first client after leaving Qualcomm, and uh, I remember you were thinking about developing a proximity and a location app using beacons. Uh, and so you challenged me to put on a day long training course for your entire team, and we did it. And that was actually the foundation of what has turned into this book, which just came out last week. So sure. uh, if it weren't for you, this book wouldn't have been written. So I thought I'd give you a with my thanks for for making it happen well thank you yeah that's great
2: (laughs) yeah i know when we started down this path um beacons were relatively new and and really geo indoor geolocation all of those ideas were kind of new and and i needed to get my staff on board with understanding what what it was we were trying to do so having your experience in qualcomm and helping develop some of those thoughts um, was absolutely perfect in getting us down the path, so I think it was good for both of us.
3: It really was, and yeah. so this is great timing. You, I think, are about to release your app imminently. When's that coming up? That's
2: right. So we've, we've been sort of imminently releasing it, and every day, every day we sort of change things along as mm-hmm. we go, but uh, uh, we're looking at uh, mid-July now. So we're at the beginning of July of 2016 here, and so uh, about mid-July it should be released to the public. We've got beta versions, which we can look at a little bit later, um, and really the only features we're kind of finishing up now are more of the mapping features that, um, that really the geolocation or uh, as some would call it blue dotting is mm-hmm. um, a, a critical thing when you start talking about airports.
3: Well, I've got a bunch of questions for you about what the app is gonna do and the process of developing it. But first we should set the scene a little bit and explain to people who aren't familiar with the airport a little bit about San Diego Airport, sure. how, how big is the airport, how many people travel through it? Sure, sure. So,
2: you know, there's all sorts of different measurements of airports. So when you start looking at an airport, an average airport is about 4,000 acres. Mm-hmm. We are 641 acres, oh, so right. we are a very small, compact airport. Uh, we are the, single, uh, the busiest single runway airport in North America. We have just one runway. However, on that one runway last year we did just above 20 million passengers. Wow. That's so a lot of people. that's a lot of people in the US that puts us around 18 or so size of airports 17 18. So we're in the top 20 as far as sizes of passenger counts, but as far as land and runways go,
3: we're we're quite compact. And it is a beautiful airport. This has got nothing to do with beacon technology. But for anyone that's thinking of coming to San Diego, you'll get an amazing view of San Diego as you land. You'll probably come very close to some of the buildings. And then you step out the door, and literally two minutes, you can see the bay. And uh, so it's just a fantastic location. I am really enthusiastic about airports as a business person, as someone who's into the beacon thing, just because so many people come to airports. That's right. I remember at Qualcomm, we did the analysis, and we looked at the top. 20 airports and the top 20 shopping malls and the airports have it by hundred uh, percent. So twice as many people go to the top 20 airports as they do to the top 20 shopping malls. So anyone that's interested in getting technology in people's hands, it's, it's great just from a numbers perspective.
2: Yeah, if you think about even our airport, so being in the top 20, we hit about 50,000 people on average a day through here. So from a volume of people going through a space, we're bigger than many sporting arenas and we are consistently that size. It is a great place to see and interact with a lot of people. Uh, From a new technology perspective, as somebody in technology, it's a great place to be because we get so many different opportunities to interact with so many different types of people.
3: And what kind of people go to an airport? I have an intuitive sense, but mm-hmm. any yeah. kind of color you want to add in terms of who flies? Yeah,
2: so for, for our airport, we're, uh, we're what's called an origination and destination airport. So what that means is people don't generally come to our airport to go somewhere else. They either come here to stay here or they're leaving from here. Mm-hmm. So we, we're about a 50-50 split on our airport between business travelers and leisure travelers. And a lot of that's driven because of the environment that we have around here being the the most beautiful place in the world. If you ask me, yeah, um, you, I you can't agree. Get much better. <laughs> it's a real problem when you go on holiday. Where do that's, I go? That's right. I want to go someplace nice. Oh, wait, I'm already here. So, <laughs> so we do get a lot of leisure travelers. But because of that mix, we are somewhat unique in that we have savvy travelers who tend to be the business travelers and we have first-time travelers who tend to be more of the vacation travelers and so we have to be able to accommodate both types of travelers if you will those who really just wanna get through and get to their gate and get on their plane and those that really don't know what to do in an airport
3: I'm sure that's something that's been in your mind as you've been looking at the app as well because there are different kinds of users different kinds of services but the great thing is you do have this very regular set of people that are tech savvy, pretty well healed in terms of being able to afford to buy a smartphone and uh, probably looking and uh, they've got pretty high expectations. So that's, yeah. I guess, a blessing and a curse.
2: There's statistics that the industry has put out that it, around 89% of passengers carry a smartphone. So we have a high uptake of technology just from our from our passenger base so that you're exactly right
3: before i started working with san diego airport i thought i understood airports and then Uh, The closer I got, the more I realized there's a lot more to this. So uh, let's just dip into that very briefly. You run the technology organization. What does the technology organization at an airport have to do? And I ask that because I'm sure you don't have a huge amount of spare time to think about apps. Uh, You've probably got other things on your mind as well.
2: That's right. Yeah. So an airport is really an ecosystem of a bunch of different companies, um, from the airport authority perspective, we are, for lack of a better term, the the landlord. So we're responsible for all of the buildings, for all of the security at the airport, uh, from getting from the passenger side to the uh, terminal side. We are responsible for making sure that the lights are on, making sure that the data that gets out to the passengers on the screens that you might look at to find your flight, those are our responsibility. Um, So my team really has their hands full, both with the back office type work, helping the Airport Authority employees do their daily jobs with all the varying things that we have to do, from uh, construction to environmental to uh, accounting, all of the different aspects you would expect in an ind- in a business, as well as providing services to the traveling public. So my team of 30 have quite a uh, breadth of responsibility. And uh, first and foremost is make sure the lights down.
3: Yeah. So how many people have you had working on this app?
2: We have had off and on about three people working on the app. Uh, We have hired a third-party company that uh, is developing it for us, and so we're providing guidance, we're providing some testing. What's been really neat about the testing phase of it, so from an IT perspective, very limited, but from a testing perspective, we've got uh, about 60 people within the authority that have downloaded the app and are giving us feedback, so we're, we're doing at least an internal beta testing um, from our own staff to see how things work.
3: And why develop an app? You know,
2: that's a great question. Um, I think, uh, to a certain extent, it's a waste of time. Um, and the reason that I say that is that an airport app, the audience for an airport app, is really the people who work at the airport so we have around 400 employees at the authority. I might get about 500 downloads and uh, and the reason for that is that passengers generally don't want to download my app, they don't want to download another airport's app and another airport's app and another airport's app. There's only so many apps that people want to put on their devices. Yeah. And so we have a very limited, although we have lots and lots of people that come through our airport, we have a very limited scope of what value our data and our app can provide. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason we wanted to develop it is really to prove out other things. So prove out how can you use beacons in an airport, prove out what kind of data does an airport authority as ourselves have that has value. For me, the app isn't the value, the data that itself is the value and how do I manage that data and how can I um, leverage it to help my partners, to help my
3: passengers, and to help grow revenue for the airport authority. So, really, less about the app and more about the infrastructure. Is that a yeah, that's a fair true. comment? Mm-hmm. And and really, that's. Infrastructure is a big part of what airports are all about, and I didn't realize, but there's been a seismic change in the way you design technology for airports, it used to be very siloed, everyone had, each airline had their own thing, and now that's changing. Do you want to just say a few words about that and how that might relate to this whole thing? Sure, sure. So one
2: of the challenges that we have being in industry of a bunch of different companies that all share space is just that, space is limited. So when we go back to my very small footprint as a great example, I have to figure out the best way to get as many airlines or carriers into this space as possible. Mm -hmm. So we have 19 now, so when we wanna add that 20th one, where do they go? And so what the industry has come up with for um, for now is a way to time slice or share uh, physical resources like gates and ticket counters that uh, at one moment that gate could be airline A, and the next moment it could be airline B. And so um, that technology, while it is uh, somewhat old and antiquated, and needs to be updated. It honestly started back in 1984 for the um, for the LA Olympics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so way, way back in 1984 for, um, for a reason that we all seem to, as we watch, technology seems to center around large events like Olympics. Uh, this technology was created. It's called Common Use. And um, and it's still going strong. Now it's been uh, iteratively changed and improved, but mm-hmm. the, the concept is really the same. How do you, uh, How do you share space with multiple airlines without having to build additional terminals or build additional infrastructure to to support because that's very costly
3: so you have common use infrastructure that includes by my understanding the telephone system the reservation the, the connectivity for reservation systems and suddenly the airlines merge and i think the theory goes that one of your guys does a little bit of work on a console and suddenly uh, what was two airlines you can merge the infrastructure into one or that's the ideal maybe yeah
2: that's the idea yeah it's, it's probably a simpler version of what truly happens yes. but yeah that's that's definitely the idea the the other great- example is uh, you know back in a, a few years and even uh, a decade or so ago when there were um, airlines going into bankruptcy and what ended up happening in those bankruptcies is the leaseholds that they had became an asset for the bankruptcy courts which meant that we as airports couldn't reuse those gates they were now tied up in a bankruptcy mm-hmm. uh, proceeding and so uh, we had to also change the way we did leases so that we could enable the airport to continue to own and manage their uh, infrastructure and benefit the community as we do today.
3: So how does common use for telephone systems and reservation systems, how does that relate to beacons, common use for beacons? So that's,
2: again, another good question. So common use for the telephones and the computer infrastructure really allows us to best manage our space and really figure out where to put airlines to operate common use for beacons and for really any geolocation type information is kind of that next iteration of how do I, within an airport, manage my internal space and the data about my internal space and share that with my partners in a way that they can expose it through their apps or expose it through their platform, whatever that might be. And really going back to a question earlier, that's the reason to develop that app is to prove out how the infrastructure that we put in place interacts with a mobile device, it interacts with passengers, and how do
3: we package that in a way that then our partners can use. Very good. So to just kind of wrap that up, it seems like The ideal is you have one set of beacons and every airline uses the same set of beacons rather than having one set of beacons for United another set of beacons for American airlines. And then, uh, you know, potentially you've got lots of other apps, third-party apps, I Mm. guess, that are coming in. And so wouldn't it be nice if we were all using the same set of infrastructure? Do you you see is that the way it's going or do you think we're going to find different apps from different people in the different uh, airline clubs? I can Mm. see it going either way. Yeah, I I think
2: it really depends on it really depends on how we as an industry react. So I will use Wi-Fi as an example of of a way that we reacted poorly and how that relates maybe to the beacons going forward. So um, in the early days of installing um, Wi-Fi infrastructure in airports, there became a battle between the airports and the airlines about who can install wireless access points. And so the airlines would install some, the airports would install some, you would end up with radio frequency conflicts, you know, channels fighting with one another. And so as an industry, the way that we ended up reacting was we, as airports, told airlines, you can't do that. And the airlines went to the FCC and said, they can't do that. And so it became a battle rather than a partnership. What is what we learned from that overall as an industry is we all have to work together and we have to work together well. And um, from that point moving forward, I've seen a lot of growth in how we all work together. But with the beacon world, we could end up in the same uh, in the same realm in that you could have all of this beacon infrastructure in place, and now the person that the passenger could be being bombarded with various messages from different systems and really being able to manage that noise is going to be critical
3: it's infrastructure hopefully it'll be there so new apps can uh, one day Travelocity wants to start using beacons in San Diego airport they can use the same beacons that other folks are using but we all know infrastructure is really hard and you probably know that better than anyone else in the book we talk about infrastructure in terms of the highway system the fact that we've got a highway system it was put in over many generations but Eisenhower justified the military applications and that was what drove the expansion of the highway system how are you justifying the installation of the beacons in terms of the app I'm sure the app I think you alluded to that that's kind of almost like a Trojan horse that is uh, allowing you to to learn what are the kind of functions that you want to have in the app and and, and, and what's going to be released first? So.
2: So there were kind of two questions in yeah. there. The first was why the beacons and what, what are we how are we driving them? Yeah. And that, for us, we're really driving it from the perspective of how do we communicate with the passengers. So we've installed somewhere near 300 beacons throughout this campus. Uh, they are the Gimbal beacons as opposed to the eye beacon standard. And we did that purposefully because at the time we started down this path, Gimbal was one of the very few that had a uh, secure beacon if you will so when somebody would be walking through our airport if they didn't have the right components in their app they wouldn't know that the beacons existed they couldn't be found and so that was important to us as a as an airport from a security perspective the drivers for the beacons really are about the art program about the concessions program um, about what is around the passenger and helping them find so thinking about The passengers who may not be um, seasoned passengers who are familiar with airports and generally how airports operate, one of the hardest things in an airport is how do I find my way around it? Mm -hmm. And so we have purposefully headed down this path to help solve some of those problems of a passenger being able to figure out where they are and what's around them. The second part of that question was what are the features that are really going to first come out in the app and so we've done a couple of things the simple features like the flight information to be able to get that on your phone that's easy and really is sort of the the price of entry if, of any airport app if you will you should have that mm-hmm. we would like to have the map of the airport in there and really that going back to that blue dotting concept of i'm here and this is what's around me that's going to be in the first release later releases will get us to how do i get from where i am to where that concession might be but that won't be in the first release
3: okay so that would be the wayfinding so at the moment people will be able to say hey oh i'm actually in the west wing of terminal two and therefore i know where the nearest and you talked about concessions i think Mm -hmm. most people know what that is but that's basically we're talking restaurants and shops that sort of thing which is really the way let's go back to some airport 101 who pays for the airport yeah.
2: Are so, paying
3: for that? of my taxes? No,
2: no, no. We are self-funded. That's a, that's a common um, uh, sentiment that it's tax-based. Airports are, by and large, in the United States, so it's different in the U.S. versus outside of the U.S., but by and large in the United States, airports are government entities or government-esque entities, and so they'll either be a department of a city, a department of a county. Um, In our case, we're an independent authority, so California set us up as what's called a special legislative district. Different methodologies, but in all in all, we are in place to manage and operate the airport in a safe and efficient manner. And that goes across the board for really any airport. So in order to be funded, uh, we are funded by the people who use it. So we have a use fee, if you will, Um, that uh, pays for a lot of the construction. So when you look at your ticket and you see that $4.50 fee, sometimes it's less, um, that passenger facilitation charge, that is a a fee that is added on to an airplane ticket that the airline collects and then reimburses back to the airport to help pay for infrastructure. And that, Mm -hmm. the purpose of that really is to enhance the passenger's experience. So that would be the... um, Uh, building of new buildings or adding in new uh, features into a terminal, something that makes the experience better for the passenger or enhances that passenger experience. The second way we get funded is by the airlines who use our runways in the, in the, the airfields. So they pay us use fees, they pay us uh, rental fees, they pay for varying other fees. So the, the second way we get funded is from, from the airlines that use the airport. That would be things like the landing fees, the charges to land. We have to pay for maintenance of the runways and the airfields the rent that they use to, that they pay us to rent the space. We have to improve that space, keep it up, maintain it. Uh, The final ways that we get paid or make revenue is what we call non-aeronautical or non-airline revenue, depending on who you talk to. And that would be things like the concessions. You buy a bottle of water, we get a percentage of that as the airport. So Mm -hmm. that would be considered rent. Parking is almost every airport. Parking is a major source of revenue for the airport. Other revenue sources, uh, in our case, the rental car companies are a revenue source. We do get fees from them for the opportunity to rent cars to our passengers. We are looking at other areas for uh, additional revenue because that's always something that we have to mm-hmm. consider: is how do we, how do we make this a better experience for our passengers? And that does take money. Um, some airports are lucky enough to have natural gas on their property, or, or oil, or what have you, or slot machines if you're in Las Vegas. But, mm-hmm. uh, but those are one-offs for the for the most part.
3: You've got sunshine, though, haven't you? You've got a lot of sunshine. sunshine. Maybe you can start selling the power. <laughs> we you have to bottle negotiate it up with SDG&E. It. <laughs> um, so I, maybe that's a little bit of a diversion, but I think you know know your customer. If someone's, A lot of people will be watching this thinking, this is a great market for my startup to get into, and I think... If you're thinking that, you need to understand how your customer earns money. And so this is interesting. And so to the extent that uh, people can help you drive more transactions out of the concessions, that's more revenue into the airport. And it's not like you're not a profit, you're you're a non-profit, uh, but you definitely want the money because you have to pay people's wages and hopefully that money goes into making it a better experience. So you are motivated, it seems, to generate revenue, Mm -hmm. even though you're not motivated by profit because you don't Make a profit.
2: Yeah, we are motivated to generate revenue for things like our airport development plan that will be coming out here in the near future, which is really taking some of the older buildings on our campus and redeveloping those. So we have a uh, a need to ultimately hit 61 gates at this airport, that's about the max that our airfield will support. And in order to do that, we've got to find sources of revenue.
3: So let's get back to the app then. We we kind of did a quick tour of some of the functions and it seems like they could be put into a number of buckets. One is just making it a better experience Mm -hmm. for people and the other one is potentially generating some revenue. Is is revenue generation... um, a significant consideration with the app or not?
2: No, I wouldn't say significant. It's always something we consider, Um, and actually it's a good point to get back to some of the features because really the the purpose of that app is not so much about the revenue generation as it is about the the passenger and the passenger experience. Yeah. And uh, whether or not it's my app or someone else's app that ultimately provides that experience, we want to be able to understand what do we have to enhance that experience. So some of the things that we will be releasing in the first go around are uh, wait times for our uh, taxi lines, which is sort of a silly thing, but but really, again, to prove out can we calculate and manage wait times, because while we're talking about a, a taxi queue, which may not be important to a lot of people at this point. What is important is when you start looking at the security checkpoints or the ticketing lobby where you're going to drop your baggage, your luggage and get that out so you can get out to your gate. Those wait times are critical. So we have a system in place today to monitor wait times out on the curb. We wanted to see can we expose that data in a meaningful way through an app. So that will be there. The uh, other features that will be coming down the road that are more revenue generating will be taking our... Parking reservation system that we have on our website and and exposing that through our app so people can reserve a parking space in uh, in our lots or reserve a uh, valet uh, spot in our valet services mm-hmm. um, and then as we begin to add additional uh, future resources we are looking at how do we uh, how do we do concession ordering and delivery so if you are a business traveler and you're going home and you realize that for little Johnny, you forgot to buy them a, a gift, mm-hmm. then wouldn't it be great if you could do that on the app and have it delivered to your gate rather than having to walk up and down the airport and look through every single store to find something that you really just want to get. Or if you're a leisure traveler and you didn't realize that you couldn't take liquids through the security checkpoint, getting to the other side now because you're in a, uh, in a, in a hurry to get to your gate, how about being able to order some, a bottle of water or a drink to have it ready for you when you get to your gate? So those are those are some additional features we'll have down the road, which do drive some revenue, but I don't see it as a large revenue source.
3: So going back to a point that you made earlier, you are testing a bunch of features, and the reality is those features may get exposed in someone else's app, but unless you are trying this stuff out with your app, you won't know where the beacons need to go or how the infrastructure needs to right but uh, just to explore any other use cases that you can talk about in terms of things you're considering for the app
2: yeah it's for, probably the, the the biggest feature that sort of left off the table at the moment ah. is our, what we're calling our go tag and so what we've done so we've done kind of two things and I'll talk about the app in a, in a minute but the go tag is a um, it's a beacon that's about the size of a quarter, and it is designed to be a mobile beacon. So when you start thinking about beacons originally, you're thinking about the physical beacon that attaches to a wall that it is static and things around it move. This is a little bit different, where maybe you're static and the beacon itself moves. And so what we noticed in when we were starting to do some of our research and even in your training is that that the. Um, that the, the challenge uh, of identifying the, the, actually the original use case was identifying where your kid was and being able to put something on your child so that if they got too far from you, your phone, phone would alert let you. So I as a dad thought that was interesting, but I also was thinking about my experiences and traveling with my family and anytime we go and visit anybody, Dad is the poor schlep who goes and stands at the carousel and watches all of the bags going in circles while the kids are and mom are off with whoever we're visiting, getting reacquainted, getting hugs, getting whatever. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I was a bit jealous about that. <laughs> so we came up with an idea to place a beacon that would be used on uh, luggage. So that when the luggage presented itself on the carousel, your phone would get an alert. So, kind of the opposite of your kid getting too far away, this yes. is your bag's getting close enough to you. Right. And so, uh, so what that enables you to do is stand maybe 75 feet or 100 feet or so away from that carousel Mm -hmm. so that you can either enjoy the people that you're visiting or you can get a coffee if there's a, a stand nearby or what have you, and your phone will do the work. Your phone or your mobile device will alert you when your bag arrives on that carousel um and so for us that really
3: is the way to get people to adopt our app yes. use that that feature that's a great hope that's a great hope so uh, let's talk a little bit about the process um, and these things always take longer than you would hope and I think that's true the entire industry so I, I'm really interested in this part of the conversation because as a whole I think uh, everyone's been excited by beacons and uh, like. Why isn't this taken off yet? And you probably have a better perspective than most about the fact that it takes some time. So, how long has it taken? Well, I would have liked to to have taken about a month.
2: Um, we're about a year into it now. Yeah. So, uh, in that in that year time frame, um, really, a lot of the challenge is the learning. A lot of the challenge is the. Um, the politics of the environment that you're in, not even so much the politics of politics, but just getting people to understand, getting people to figure out why it's of value, getting concessions and other tenants to allow you to put stuff in their space Uh, there's just a lot of moving parts and then there are about 12 people in the world that understand what you're doing and so trying to to grow
3: that to be more than those 12 people tends to take the most most time so there's just a bunch of human stuff, a bunch yeah. of communication and, you know, you can call it a vision, but just explaining why we're we doing this. Yeah, that takes time. That takes a lot of time. And and
2: then there is the time of what do we want to do? So you have some people who may be very interested in uh, where, where physical things are in the airport, where the restrooms are, where the the um, shops are, whatever. You have other people who are more interested in where the art is. You have some people that are more interested in what are the environmental features of the building. Mm-hmm. Trying to dovetail all of those interests together without, um, not that any IT project ever has this, but without scope is um, is quite a challenge. You, know, you definitely start, once you start that ball rolling, and once people start to get the vision of what it is you're trying to do, it's almost like you get to a cliff and that ball drops off the cliff rather than a roll down the hill and and then the scope gets completely out of control. So, um, so again, it's the human element of trying to pull all of that together. And then once you're in the midst of all of that, you're now doing the development work and you're developing in something that is quite new and you're developing it in an area that it's never been used.
3: Before, in the
2: airport. Um, you run into a lot of technical technical problems that you just did not expect to have. Can you
3: shed some light on what, what are those unexpected things, things that you weren't
2: uh, expecting to have? Uh, so, for for us, some of the things we weren't expecting to happen um, are are things like in our, our beacon application, it has to have internet connectivity at all times, and that is a, a, a Status of the rolling code that gets used to provide that security. Yeah, that can becomes a problem when you're traveling internationally, for example. Yeah, you have no connectivity, and so now the app doesn't work. And we didn't expect that. And so, uh, luckily, we had some employees who were going on international trips, and we learned some very interesting experiences based on that uh, on that side of the of the house. The other things that we've learned is that um, that. Designers and software programmers and, and the like, all of the people that you put into developing one of these things all see things in a different way. And so when you're doing a rapid development, you end up with a lot of iterations because nobody had, At the beginning, people don't have, all have the same view of how things should work. Um, those are probably the biggest, uh, the biggest issues that mm-hmm. we've seen.
3: And it seems like a lot of this is a function of going first. You know, there's, there's a bunch of airports. And there's a lot of airports that are trying this. But no one's got a year's experience of deploying a, a, a beacon app. And uh, you're putting in, you're building infrastructure as well as an application. So that's going to be challenging. I, I don't, you know, I think that's not exactly true, um, to be
2: fair. Because uh, you, know, you pick on places like Orlando or Miami. And there's a few others that have um, had beacons in place for quite a while. They went with the iBeacon standard, um, have developed apps, uh, Dallas-Fort Worth is another example. Uh, the, the funny thing is, when you start rattling off things, you forget one, and then one of those airports it will be my friends, and they'll call me and say, you didn't mention me in Steve's camera, so, uh, so, so forgive me if I didn't mention you, uh, but but nonetheless, there are many uh, people ahead of us, and you know, when you start looking at the number of airports in the world, it is very small, and we are in the, the front end of that, but I wouldn't by no means say we're out front,
3: not well, that's modest of you. I, I still would say that posit that it's uh, early days and it's it's unclear as to exactly how this is going to roll out. But um, you did mention they're using iBeacon and some of the challenges in terms of the rolling code. And I know that that uh, that there's been a lot of work in refining that, and there's opportunities to potentially cache. Um, uh, elements that would potentially be required. But any thoughts about whether in the future people are going to go for locking down their beacons, or whether they're going to be static beacons? Because now we've got these URL beacons as well. I'd be interested in your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think uh, the URL beacons, uh, like Eddystone, yeah. um,
2: are, are a really interesting opportunity. I think it's a different opportunity um, I think that the, the iBeacon or the Gimbal Beacon really serve kind of the same purpose, whereas you're interacting with an app on the phone that communicates to you some information based on where you're at. And that's a very specific kind of a use case. I think that the um, URL-based uh, beacons have an opportunity of interacting directly with the, um, the operating system of the phone, and so you no longer need that app. And so that... That really is uh, is an interesting conundrum because on the benefit side, it allows you to connect your other assets, your website maybe, or downloading something onto a device uh, with a physical location. Um, on the negative side, for somebody like me in an airport, I lose um, I lose management over the experience within my space. So anybody in theory could stick a url beacon on my wall and now they have access to giving an experience that i may not uh, want in my in my airport
3: that is interesting i know some of the providers of solutions in this space part of what they provide as well as accessing your beacons managing your beacons is scanning for other people's beacons so you can lock down that uh, potentially confusing competing thing and there's obviously some economics that go in this uh, into this as well um, and uh, and potentially security and safety, too. So that's going to be a consideration. That's interesting that you brought that up. All right. Well, uh, maybe we should just uh, wrap up fairly soon. Uh, If you've got time, I'd love to have a little look at the app. Maybe we can walk around the terminal. Um, uh, But last set of questions is really, uh, back to these entrepreneurs, Uh, what's the secret of getting some of your time? You're now in charge of business development as well as technology. I forgot to elucidate on that, so congratulations on... Even more work that you've got to do, um, but uh, I'm, I'm sure there's a bunch of people that would just love to get into the airport space. But you're busy, and I'm sure you can't spend your time building these opportunities. What advice would you give to budding to, to entrepreneurs who want to get into the airport space?
2: Yeah, that, that, that's my favorite question. So I'm, I actually came out of the private sector and into the public sector as my first experience in public life, and. Well, the one thing being from in the airport industry for as long as I have been, we are uh, very proud of ourselves. And and I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but but we do have a barrier of entry into this marketplace in that most of the uh, bid documents that you'll see that come from airports will say must have experience in one, three, five, whatever the number is, similar size airports. That immediately limits the pool. Um, I think that, uh, that that really gives us, uh, it really doesn't do justice to our industry. And that is, um, there's a lot of wonderful ideas out there that have nothing to do with airports, but that could apply. And so, what we have done in our airport is we have created a, a space that we call the Innovation Lab. Um, it's actually behind the wall behind me. Uh, that wall, that, that area is uh, really designed to be a mini terminal and we want to have uh, people come in and develop new ideas, whether they be technology, or if I put on my business development hat, whether they be improving uh, parking or improving ground transportation or improving um, retail sales in the airport, whatever those things might be, that's a space to do it, which then gives a platform for new entrants into the airport space to be able to say, I do have airport experience. It is in one of the top 20 airports in the United States. And that, that kind of eliminates that barrier or at least helps break it down. So the way that we're pursuing that and hopefully in the next couple of months things will start hitting the street for um, those opportunities is that we are going to uh, really do kind of an open call. It will be an application, if you will. And we will put out, uh, for example, we want to innovate in customer service. Get, which is really unusual for our industry. We're very particular about defining everything and having all this now. In the case of the Innovation Lab, we may get somebody that comes in with a technology solution. We may get something that comes in with a person solution. We may get somebody that comes in you know, with a widget, whatever those things might be. And we're going to have to figure out how to compare those and say, all right, that one and that one will let you try it out in the Innovation Lab for a period of time and let's see where it goes. Um, so that, to me, is one great way to get in. That the, uh, the other way to get into our industry, the traditional way, is to really settle up with uh, other people who have been working in the industry over time and try and ha- have them help you into this. Uh, that's really hard for an entrepreneur. Yes.
3: Very good. Well, that's great advice. So, Rick, thanks so much for your time. It's been fascinating talking to you, and good luck with uh, with the launch of the app, and I should say good luck with the launch of the infrastructure that supports the app. And, uh, so thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the book. It was very kind. And thanks, everyone, for watching and for listening. So what would uh, that beacon be used for? So this one right now, as we're testing it, is
2: telling us that um, about the parking product. so okay. uh, telling you that you're in the parking lot across from Terminal Two, and I was pulling up our website within the app and telling you about the very various parking
3: products that we have. Okay, so it's just giving so, some context to, to yeah, the app. yeah, in this particular case, that's right. All right, what was the what was the process in terms of uh, figuring out where you were going to put them? So we defined specific
2: criteria for a beacon. So we knew that we wanted to highlight our art program. We knew that we wanted to highlight uh, concession and retail. We knew we wanted to highlight ticket mm-hmm. areas and those types of things. And so that was the basis. And then we had a team go through the airport and if it met one of those checkbox they put a beacon in that All
3: location. Right. And how long did that take? Uh, It ended up taking about
2: uh, two and a half weeks. All right. uh, Really, because of the process of identifying the location and going back and putting the beacon in, and then having to register that beacon for that location,
3: it was a lot of effort. And who uh, who actually did it was it your staff, but and who was the vendor that you worked with? That's right. So we worked with a company called Spark Compass, um, and
2: they. Uh, along with my staff went around and put the beacons in place and and um, Developed the app and, and so on. So they've been a great partner to work with. Huh? Very good.
3: All right, let's see if we can find any more beacons so
2: one of the features and um, Actually one of the questions you asked me about things that we learned. So we have the app in both our uh, iPhone and our Android version, you'll notice on the bottom that they're different, that this is seeing what's around me says 1, this is seeing what's around me is 5. And the one on the right is your iPhone and the, the left is the, uh, is the Android version. That's right. And so what we're discovering is that natively they handle beacons differently. Okay. And the way that they receive the signal strength is different. And so when I go into what's around me, uh, what I see is that... Um, I have a baggage carousel, so as it's updating, I have the information booth and in the fuel rod AED, which will be uh, straight ahead of us there. Uh, this one's picking up the fuel rod, but it's not picking up uh, the artwork or the baggage carousel or the check-in kiosk. And you'll see that on the Android, it's picking them up and dropping them as we stand. It's uh, the varying signal strength, uh, yeah. you know, the nature of RF, right?
3: So a little bit more volatile, but uh, but actually more sensitive on Android to, to what's around you. Yeah.
2: So this is our Go tag. Um, what you'll notice is that we did not uh, brand it as a San Diego tag, but we branded it as a, a Go tag. And the reason is that this tag and the app, as you'll see at the top, says Away You Go. The name of the app is Away You Go, not San Diego Airport. And mm-hmm. the purpose of both of those is that we did not want... The um, we thought that there was opportunity for uh, the app to be more valuable if it had other airports in it. And so, yeah,
3: makes sense. I use the airport in San Diego, I fly out to Portland, I can use it there as well. Potentially, that's
2: right. That's right. So, the go tag is very, really, very simple. I already have this one registered, and so you'll see an error message as it comes up. But we wanted to make it easy for people to add tags. So, when you want to add a tag, you take it to the back of the phone. Um, oh. the, the app does its scan. As you'll see, it says already recognized. that I have it registered. I can override that and then uh, rename the tag. Um, and there you go. So now it's been registered to my account. So now the value of this tag and the reason we went with this manufacturer of, go, of tags, which is the uh, gimbal tag, is that my phone and my app are the only ones that can identify this tag. So it gives it somewhat sense of security. So when your bag is coming off of the carousel, you're the one who hears it not everybody else so that's uh, the message that you'll get in your phone obviously gives you a vibrate but when you're in the app there's the message and then it would also show up in your uh, messages at the top of your phone or you know in your iPhone underneath the messages um, and just alert you that your tag is nearby or your luggage is nearby
3: so here we have another Beacon up there. looks kind of fits in. It's a little bit nondescript, so it just kind of blends in as potentially an architectural feature. And San Diego is an interesting airport. You put a real premium on art. We do. We do. That's um,
2: one of the things that we really pride ourselves on is our art exhibits. And we really want people to learn more about the art and, and more about the experience here at the airport. Mm-hmm. So... Um, So what we were hoping to do with the beacons is to provide additional um, opportunities to interact with the art, to learn about the artist, to learn about the art exhibit itself. Um, So we've divided up the the categories and the the intent being that if you're looking for dining, you know which terminal you're in, uh, you can find the various uh, opportunities for food, um, you can view the details of that food and uh, in the final release, you'll be able to click on the location and it will bring up the map and show you where it is and then it, by default where you are so you can figure out kind of how to get there. Bubbles yep. is one of our concessions. And uh, again, these are all just test messages. So yeah. uh, This is the very first anybody outside of the Authority
3: has seen this app. So. <laughs> We're privileged. That's right. Thank you very much. <laughs> So, Rick, if you were on this trip to Mars, and you had to choose three songs to take with you, which three songs would you take?
2: Wow, uh, that's a great question. You know, I think I'd start with um, Won't Back Down by Tom Petty. I think, if you know, if I'm going to Mars, I've got to be pretty set and I'm going to yeah, do this. there's no turning back. There's no turning back. Um, I would go with um, uh, I go to The Rock by Al Denison, which is, um, or Denson, not Denison, Al Denson, huh. uh, which is more of a faith song, you know, kind of remind me of my roots and where I'm coming from. Very good. And, um, and then I'd also go with uh, Fat by Weird Al, because uh, who doesn't like Weird Al?
3: Yes, so you'll be laughing <laughs> as you're driving around on the Mars Explorer <laughs> and on the way. Very, Very good. Great. Thanks a lot. Sure.